Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are allowing the door to close, the song to end, and the chapter to play out, because we're moving on without the need for closure. Feels unfinished, huh? People want answers, whether there are any or not. If not, we tend to fill in the blanks with the not-so-rosiest of answers. Are you thinking about your own unanswered questions or the time you didn't receive closure? How did you move on? Maybe you didn't and you're still carrying shards of that failed relationship around with you, comparing every new encounter. I'm sure I don't have to tell you how dangerous that can be. Put yourself in their shoes. That's it. It's so difficult to see this from any other angle than the one we're struggling with. What did I do? Where did I go wrong? How can I fix it? Who else is going to hurt me? If you can't get there on your own, then I'll move this topic around from angle to angle for you to make sure you're seeing all the possible sides. Pam Ramsden gives us an understanding of the psychology of closure and why some need it more than others, found at theconversation.com. Imagine your partner unexpectedly changes their Facebook status from in a relationship to single and then refuses to communicate with you. This sounds awfully cruel, completely robbing you of the right to find out why you've been dumped so that you can get some closure and move on. But it's actually becoming so common that Facebook has created new tools to help people manage their Facebook profiles after a breakup and interact with former partners. The need for closure doesn't just apply to relationships. The death of a loved one, the loss of a job, status, or a way of life are other examples of painful endings. Letting go of something that was once important can be difficult, and many people seek closure in doing so. But does it actually help? And can you really expect other people to give you closure? Let's take a look at the evidence. The social psychologist Ari Kruglansky coined the phrase need for closure in the 1990s, referring to a framework for decision-making that aims to find an answer on a given topic that will alleviate confusion and ambiguity. When we seek closure, we're looking for answers as to the cause of a certain loss in order to resolve the painful feelings it's created. In doing this, we appear to form a mental puzzle of what happened examining each piece and its relationship to the overall puzzle. Closure is achieved when we're satisfied that the puzzle has been assembled to our satisfaction, that the answers have been reached, and it's therefore possible to move on. When people most need closure, it's usually because the termination of the event is significant to them, holding particular value and meaning. Let's take a breakup as an example. If you find that the explanation is that your partner is choosing to end the relationship to begin another, you might find closure straight away without further explanation. 
However, in the world of social media, where people are often ghosted, where someone simply disappears from contact without any explanation, feelings are left unresolved. Ultimately, having answers about past endings can help us maintain our identity and learn something about the behavior of ourselves and others. This is partly the reason why we often feel like we're better at picking partners with age. Similarly, many elderly people take a more relaxed view about death than younger people. They've often lost several loved ones and have to find closure in doing so. The need for closure exists on a scale, with some more prone to seek it than others. Some people even have a desire to avoid closure at all costs. This could be because they don't want to end up feeling guilty, rejected, or criticized by others. Vagueness does have its advantages. As soon as you've established exactly what happened, you're subject to criticism from yourself and others. But even among people with a similar need for closure, what may be satisfactory to one person won't be sufficient for another. Every person's need for closure is different and appears to vary as a function of the situation as well as personality characteristics and values. When we're under stress, for example, our need for closure increases. Research indicates that certain types of personalities are different in the way they approach closure. One study found that people who prefer order and predictability, having a more rigid way of thinking and a low tolerance for ambiguity, struggle when they're unable to find answers to help them move on. In contrast, people who are more open-minded, creative, and comfortable with ambiguity are better able to cope with not achieving closure. Psychologists have found that people who are constantly able to find closure usually have value systems that can easily incorporate answers to validate their worldview. A religious ideology, for example, explains many questions as God's will, with no further explanation needed. Individual differences in the need and ability to achieve closure can also play a crucial role in the potentially detrimental effects of not obtaining closure. This includes psychological distress, like feelings of anxiety and depression, with individuals questioning themselves, in particular, their judgments, skills, and abilities. So what are you to do if someone ghosts you? It's important to remember that you're in charge of obtaining closure. You can't really get others to do it for you. Even if you get an ex-partner to talk about what went wrong in the relationship, there's no way of really knowing that they're being honest or correct in their assessment. A good starting point is to take responsibility for your own actions and interpret those of others the best you can. If someone doesn't want to communicate with you, that says something. You also have to accept that you may never have the perfect answer. But you can give yourself some time to be sad, try to figure out what happened, and finally learn to move on. 
Research has also shown that a type of writing that allows people to examine their loss through a redemptive lens without blame and which focuses on the positives can be useful in helping you achieve closure. Ultimately, closure is a complicated cognitive process and the key is learning to live with the ambiguity when it can't be achieved. Sometimes things go wrong and although it doesn't feel fair and it's very hurtful, life does go on. I think one of the hardest things to realize is that you're still growing. You were then and you still are now. You couldn't see that at the moment because you only knew what you knew then and you only know what you know now. It's also very hard to see yourself and your relationships objectively. You're too consumed with what's happening to you, not for you. Oh, the meltdowns I've had in my lifetime. It's still only easy to recognize what went wrong then versus what could be going wrong now. Why do you think that is? Hmm. Few people meet and marry their soulmates at a young age. Best friends in school rarely make it to college and beyond. As you change, your life changes. And with that comes the ever-revolving door of people who will impact, upset, challenge, lead, support, love, and hurt you. Wendy Rose Gould answers the question, what is closure in a relationship? Five signs you haven't found it yet, plus steps to help you move forward. Found at verywellmind.com. Everyone experiences relationship losses throughout their life, and some endings are more complex, painful, and confusing than others. Closure refers to having a sense of understanding, peace, and accepted finality of the relationship, whether it's ended because of loss, rejection, or growing apart. Closure looks different for everyone, but at its core, it's a sense of completion and release from the entanglement of the relationship. Essentially, closure provides you the ability to move forward with what is next in your life. The thing about closure is that it can sometimes be tricky to find. Sometimes we struggle to wholly let go and the natural ending of the relationship is drawn out for months or even years. Sometimes the ending was so abrupt that we struggle to make sense of what happened or accept that the relationship is over. In other cases, we harbor intense feelings of guilt, shame, confusion, or grief that's difficult to work through. And sometimes it may feel like the other person prevents us from getting the closure we feel we deserve. So here are a few signs that you might not have found it just yet. You can't stop thinking about the relationship. Ruminating and obsessing over a person and what happened are clear signs that you've not yet found closure. You're still feeling entangled energetically, mentally, or emotionally with them. This might present as having intrusive thoughts about them, being unable to sleep or complete daily tasks because you're thinking about them, habitually checking their social media or having internal conversations with or at them. You can't understand what happened. Understanding why the relationship ended the way that it did brings a sense of internal peace. If you struggle to make sense of the way things ended, 
this can plague you and can cause you to feel like the book hasn't yet been closed. Perhaps unsurprisingly, a study that examined young adults' behavior after ending a romantic relationship found that when participants had a greater understanding of why the breakup occurred, they experienced less inner turmoil and felt better about the relationship in general. You keep reopening the wound. Reaching out to the other person after a relationship has ended can extend the feelings of your pain. It essentially prevents the emotional door from fully shutting. You might feel a strong desire to reach out to the other person or revisit the relationship because you want to find answers and better understand why things ended. Interestingly, a 2015 study concluded that when people accepted a friend request from their ex on social media, they experienced more anxiety and depression compared to those who didn't accept the request. You question yourself and your worth. When a close relationship ends, it's natural to experience grief and sadness. This is universal and a part of everyone's life experience, says Dr. Todd Gaffney, a clinical psychologist and professor. However, a breakup in the framework of closure may interfere with the grieving process. For example, if through your ex-partner's accusations about you, like, you're too demanding, or your own negative internal dialogue, I'm not lovable, you could feel shame, unloved, and inferior. This is perhaps a sign that your mind actually is trying to make sense of what happened so that you can find closure. However, the blame seldom falls squarely on one person, and it isn't likely a reflection of you or your actions. What's more, these negative beliefs and feelings may extend the grieving process and be carried over as heavy emotional baggage from one relationship to another. You're holding on to anger or resentment. If things ended poorly or abruptly, you could have a deep sense of anger, frustration, or resentment. These feelings might morph into sadness or grief and sometimes switch back and forth. Feeling like you don't have closure can cause anguish and upset and even make you feel like you can't move into your next relationship or other parts of your life. So, here are a few ways you can recover, let go, and move forward. Except you may not receive clear answers. Sometimes when a relationship ends, the other person is unable or unwilling to answer your questions outright. The reality is that we must create closure within ourselves versus seeking it out externally. It's a radical act for many of us to let go of relationships, especially when we have to do it without the other person doing the same. It's important to stop trying to get them to give this to you. This alone will then free you immediately, and it's very empowering. Consider the larger picture. When we imagine and stretch our understanding of our ex-partner, this allows us to understand more about why the relationship ended the way that it did. This means practicing empathy for what our partner is stressed out about and viewing them in a larger context. Dr. Caffney says, if you plant a healthy seed in toxic soil, it won't grow as tall and strong as you might hope. 
The metaphor applies to self and partner forgiveness as well. Engage in forgiveness work. Holding on to intense emotions prevents us from stepping forward. It also causes inner anguish. Forgiving yourself and the other person can be difficult, but it's one of the first steps in finding peace and closure. Dr. Caffney says that by forgiving, you exchange toxic feelings and a negative mental mindset about your partner or yourself for a more flexible attitude that is more consistent with your life goals. Rely on other resources. While there's power in navigating things on your own, leaning on others for help is a sign of strength. Reach out to friends and family members that you trust and work with a therapist who can help you find closure with or without the other person. Closure is complicated and nonlinear. There's not one set path that leads you to the finish line and you may run into some bumps along the way. However, when you do the work, it untangles you from the complexities of your relationships and allows you to explore and more authentically enjoy new relationships. Can we say obsess? Have you ever obsessed over a question where there was no clear answer? I have, and let me tell you, it's not pretty. Replaying a situation over and over again in my mind, looking for weaknesses and threats. What did I do or what could I have done? The whole time, it could have been a multitude of situations or maybe it was timing and had nothing to do with me at all. But I had to know. The funny thing is, I did everything short of asking the other person. I never said this was a logical example, right? I had to realize what was happening in my own mind. I wasn't mourning the loss and regretting the friendship break. I was obsessed with finding out what part I played. Clearly a sign I was ready for closure. Let's listen to Psych2Go, 7 Signs You're Ready for a Closure from a Relationship, And then I'll tell you how I moved on. Moving on can be one of the hardest things to do, especially after the first failed relationship. We're not going to tell you it gets easier, nor are we going to tell you there are plenty of fish in the sea. Heartbreak hurts. What we will tell you, though, is eventually the hurting will subside. Maybe not now, tomorrow, or next week, but things will start to look up again as you spend time growing with close loved ones and rediscover yourself. Are you ready to tie the loose threads once and for all? Here are seven signs you're ready for closure. One, you've accepted that things are no longer working out. You're not clinging onto any more false hope, nor are you considering this last meetup as an opportunity to fix things. You've come to terms with the fact that it was either bad timing, incompatibility, or the lack of compromise that has prevented the relationship from growing. You're not looking to justify your actions or criticize your partner anymore. You just want answers. Two, you're ready to take responsibility. Some might argue that you'd be wasting your time trying to find closure. So why is it, for many, that finding reason is still important? It's simple. Psychologists believe that only after understanding the situation, people can restructure and understand the past, present, and future better. And a large part of this process also means taking responsibility for your actions. You realize that you too took a part in this relationship and you're willing to trust yourself to make better decisions. Before we continue the rest of this video, 
be sure to subscribe to our channel for more content as well as share this video with others. With your help, we can reach more people and provide our support. Now on to point three. Three, you've stopped blaming the other person. You've moved past the bitter feelings of resentment. You realize that blaming the other person isn't going to change anything. Relationship experts believe that many people go into a relationship without assessing their own values. It's only along the way that when those values clash with another, that the relationship often suffers. You want this closure to highlight those moments of disagreement and accept the two of you have different values instead of resenting them for it. Four, you've stopped blaming yourself. Self-blame can be common, especially if you don't have a strong sense of self. It's hard not to blame yourself after being vulnerable and intimate with someone when you place so much emphasis on what you gave. But psychologist Alicia Clark states, self-forgiveness helps you get to the bottom of why your relationship failed and prepares you for your next relationship. You're not perfect, so don't beat yourself up over it. Five, you want to take important lessons from what went wrong. When you're ready for closure, you no longer necessarily want to react, but rather you'd like to process the situation from an objective point of view. You realize that the only way to go forward is to assess the mistakes and become proactive in the future so as not to repeat them. Six, you understand that the pain is inevitable, but temporary. You might still cry at the thought of your partner, and that's okay. Even years later, it might still hurt when a certain memory is triggered. That's why healing is such a complicated process. It's never straightforward, never what we want, but once we've begun to recognize that it's not going to be forever, you're already moving on. Seven, you're ready to hear things you might not want to hear. What does it mean to let go? A lot of it comes down to openness, being aware of the loss, but not letting it consume you, and hearing things that will hurt but are necessary. The truth isn't always kind, easy, or convenient, but how we welcome it, that is ultimately always our choice. So ask yourself, are you ready for closure yet? Mark Chernoff shares more with eight effective ways to let go and move on, found at markandangel.com. Ann Landers said, some people believe holding on and hanging in there are signs of great strength. However, there are times when it takes much more strength to know when to let go and then do it. You are changing. The universe around you is changing. Just because something was right for you in the past doesn't mean it still is. This could be a relationship, a job, a home, a habit, etc. It happens to you slowly as you grow. You discover more about who you are and what you want out of life. And then you realize there are deliberate changes you need to make to keep up with the changes happening around you and within you. The lifestyle you've been living no longer fits. The specific people and routines you've known forever no longer align with your values. So you cherish all the memories, but you find yourself letting go and moving on. If you're currently dealing with this process, you may feel a bit awkward, and that's okay. This feeling is normal. But here are reasons to let go and move on. 
Number one, someone's negativity is rubbing off on you. You are the average of the people you spend the most time with. In other words, who you spend your time with has a great impact on the person you are and the person you become. If you're around cynical and negative people all the time, you will become cynical and negative. Number two, you have grown apart from someone. Sad but true. No matter what you do or how much you explain yourself, some people will gradually evolve away from your core values. As time goes on, they will prove over and over again that they're committed to misunderstanding you and clashing with your needs. Number three, you're truly unhappy with your current circumstances. It's always better to be struggling at something you love than succeeding diligently at something you despise. Number four, your goals and needs have changed. What was right for you then is not necessarily right for you now. Sometimes the hardest part isn't letting go, but rather realizing that you've changed and then learning to start over with your new truth. Number five, fear is holding you back. Part of letting go and moving on is facing the fears and disappointments of the past that are binding your spirit. Number six, you catch yourself living in the past. If all you do is attempt to relive something that's already happened, you're missing out. The mental space you create by letting go of things that are already behind you gives you the ability to fill the space with something fresh and fun. Number seven, an old grudge is still hurting you. Holding on to the weight of anger, resentment, and hatred will not only hold you back, but also block your present blessings and opportunities. You've just got to drop some things to move forward. Number eight, you aren't learning anything new. Living is learning. All positive change is the end result of learning. If you aren't learning, you're simply dying slowly. Mark gives one small example of letting go. We had been friends since grade school when I finally told one of my childhood friends, enough is enough. Although we had basically grown up together, we were now on different planets when it came to our goals and dreams. He believed there was one right thing to do things, go to college, get a degree, get a job, and dedicate every waking moment of your life to it. I had other plans. Although I did get my degree and a job after college, in our free time, Angel and I started writing articles. As the blog's reach grew, my friend discredited our success. Whenever I shared one of our small success stories, he would say something negative like, whatever, it's just a blog. I have one too. When Angel quit her job to work on the blog full time, my friend basically told me we'd failed. That's ridiculous. Angel had a good job, he said. You're just playing with fire in this economy if you ask me. To which I replied, I'm not asking you. That was the beginning of the end of our story as friends. Years later, our relationship is now a mere shadow of what it was, and my life is honestly far brighter for it. Letting my friend go wasn't easy, but it was necessary for my own well-being 
and growth. Holding on is like believing that there's only a past. Letting go and moving on is knowing in your heart that there's a brighter future ahead. So let's take a look at eight ways to design the ladder. Number one, accept the truth and be thankful. To let go is to be thankful for the experiences that made you laugh, made you cry, and helped you learn and grow. It's the acceptance of everything you have, everything you once had, and the possibilities that lie ahead. It's all about finding the strength to embrace life's changes, to trust your intuition, to learn as you go, to realize that every experience has value, and to continue taking positive steps forward. Number two, distance yourself for a while. Sometimes you need to take several steps back in order to gain clarity on a situation. The best way to do this is to simply take a break and explore something else for a while. Why? So you can return to where you started and see things with a new set of eyes. And the people there may see you differently too. Returning where you started is entirely different than never leaving. Number three, focus only on what can be changed. Realize that not everything in life is meant to be modified or perfectly understood. Live, let go, learn what you can, and don't waste energy worrying about the things you can't. Focus exclusively on what you can change. And if you can't change something you don't like, change the way you think about it. Review your options and then reframe what you don't like into a starting point for achieving something better. Number four, claim ownership and control of your life. No one else is responsible for you. You're in full control of your life so long as you claim it and own it. Through the grapevine, you may have learned that you should blame your parents, your teachers, your mentors, the education system, the government, but never to blame yourself? Right. It's never ever your fault. Wrong. Your life is your responsibility. If you want to change, if you want to let go and move on with your life, you're the only person that can make that happen. Number five, focus inward. It's important to make a difference in the world. Yes, it's important to help people, but you have to start with yourself. If you're looking outside yourself to find where you fit in or how you can create an impact, Stop and look inside yourself instead. Review who you are already, the lifestyle you're currently living, and what makes you feel alive. And then nurture these things and make positive adjustments until your current life can no longer contain them, forcing you to grow and move beyond your current circumstances. Number six, change the people around you. Some people come into your life just to strengthen you so you can move on without them. They're supposed to be part of your memory, not your destiny. The bottom line is that when you have to start compromising your happiness and your potential for the people around you, it's time to change the people around you. It's time to join local meetups, attend conferences, network online, and find a more supportive tribe. Number seven, take a chance. 
When life sets you up with a challenge, there's a reason for it. It's meant to test your courage and willingness to make a change and take a chance on something new. There's no point in denying that things are different now or being fearful of the next step. The challenge will not wait, even if you hesitate. Life only moves in one direction, forward. This challenge is your chance to let go of the old and make way for the new. Your destiny awaits your decision. Number eight, focus on today. You can decide right now that negative experiences from your past will not predict your future. Figure out what the next positive step is, no matter how small or difficult, and take it. Ultimately, the only thing you can ever really do is keep moving forward. Take that leap without hesitation, without looking back. Simply forget the past, look straight ahead, and forge toward the future. Now, back to my obsession and resolution. I let go. That's it. I accepted that it was probably a multitude of issues with myself and the other person, and for whatever reason, the friendship came to an end. Instead of frustration, I found freedom, not being able to pin it down to one thing or place blame on either party. I then looked forward and appreciated all that had changed in my life, maybe as a result, but either way, positive growth. No longer did I have to find that one thing and fix it because I had already surpassed that milestone in my evolution. Freedom from the old way of thinking propelled me into my future full of unlimited possibilities. I accepted that people come in and out of your life for so many different reasons and to just appreciate the time that you had and your willingness to move on. Dr. David J. Lay suggests an alternative view of why you don't actually need closure, found at psychologytoday.com. Closure was first introduced as a psychological concept in the early 20th century and meant something very different than its common usage today. The concept of closure was proposed by Gestalt psychologists to describe the perceptual and cognitive process whereby humans close or complete incomplete figures. So when we show someone a circle with a missing part, our brain often fills in that gap leading us to believe we saw a whole circle as opposed to an incomplete one. Since the 1990s, however, the concept of closure has been applied to far more ethereal psychological processes. The need for psychological closure variously describes people needing to have some answer as to why something happened, why they were targeted or suffered a trauma, whose fault a certain event was, or even to have peace that a criminal, such as a murderer, can never hurt anyone again. At trials, attorneys commonly state, at last, my clients will get closure. And the families of murder victims are often invited to the execution of a convicted criminal so that the state may grant them closure. Sometimes the term closure is involved when someone dies after a long, hard battle with illness. But the most frequent use of closure these days is in the seeking some final resolution, a clearing of the air, following a bad breakup in a relationship. 
I need to know why they ghosted me. I need to finally tell him that I was cheating on him the whole time. I can't rest until she knows how much she hurt me. I silenced myself from saying so much during the relationship, and they need to hear it all now. The idea is that a sense of closure gives us peace to move on and move forward and stop ruminating and scratching at emotional scabs. But as several of those quotes demonstrate, sometimes a sense of closure is more about evening the score and getting retribution than it is about achieving peace. The need for closure scale was introduced in 1994 and appears to measure some stable personality or dispositional characteristics. People who score high on need for closure are more likely to make stereotypical and biased judgments, use new information to confirm existing beliefs and biases, and stubbornly cling to their pre-existing beliefs and assumptions. While need for closure can be affected by situational factors, having high need for closure appears to be far more of an expression of a certain obsessive type of personality, a need for structure and predictability, as opposed to truly reflecting a process begun and ended by events outside the person. If the concept of closure were valid, then achieving closure would also allow us to gain peace and to live our lives differently. Unfortunately, our world is filled with horrific examples of ethnic cleansing and civil wars where closure was pursued in order to grant peace, but instead, decades of continued strife followed. In relationships, if closures allowed us to integrate the lessons of past relationships, we wouldn't do things like repeat infidelity and past mistakes over and over again. Because the need for closure is driven by personality characteristics like authoritarian relationship styles, intolerance for ambiguity, and psychological rigidity, it is extremely unlikely that granting a person's request for closure is actually going to achieve a positive outcome. Instead, particularly in the context of a relationship conflict, such attempts to achieve closure are instead more likely to exacerbate conflict, raise new grievances, and cause friction and anger to persist. Where a need for closure truly reflects a desire for punishment, I encourage people to kindly but firmly decline to participate. True closure is about facing negative emotions. Wanting closure is normal. It's about wanting emotional pain, loss, and grief to end. Unfortunately, the human mind and heart don't fit neatly into boxes where we can close them, pack them away, and not feel them anymore. Tolerance of ambiguity and uncertainty is how we most effectively manage our negative emotions like anxiety. Attempting to excise them, banish them, or control them rarely succeeds and often simply worsens our suffering. Robert Fulford said, Consciously seeking closure is a way of trying to shorten the length of time it normally takes to soften the edges of grief. Everyone can sympathize with this desire without believing that the techniques clustered around the term closure will help. Isn't that perspective freeing? It's not a one-size-fit-all solution. 
You might need closure for some things and be able to move on without it in other situations. Take each one individually to see where you are and what you need. As always, when you're in the thick of it, feeling overwhelmed with emotions and a responsibility to do something, back out. Reduce your mountain back down to a molehill by simply changing your vantage point. From this aerial view, you can see all sides and angles. Have you ever put a puzzle together? I know, silly question. Everyone's sitting at the table, working away, and then you have to stand up, right? Why? So that you can see the whole puzzle and how the pieces actually fit together versus working on an individual section. Sometimes, that's all you need in your own life. Stand up to get the full picture. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, don't be afraid to move on without having all the questions answered. Not every situation needs to be fully defined, and not every situation offers you closure. Freedom from the old way of thinking can propel you into a future full of unlimited possibilities. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear.